Father, give us the desire in our hearts to enter your kingdom, to believe that we can and to see what Jesus teaches us about entering that kingdom. And Lord, we pray, I pray, that everyone here may indeed enter that kingdom for their joy and salvation. Amen. Well, this is a sermon about entering the kingdom of God. There are places we want to get into and which we are willing to kind of work to get into. Maybe uh, it's for you a better sports team. Uh, You work on your fitness and skills in your own time to improve your chances to make that team. Maybe it's not a sports team, but maybe there's a, a choir or a band or a chess club or a debating team. Who knows? Maybe uh, it's the workforce that you want to get into because you've got to make a living and you need a job. And so you study and you qualify and you polish your CV and your interview technique and you want to get into the workforce. Maybe it's a circle of friends. Um, Friendship is a great blessing. A circle of friends you love and trust is something that we will make an effort to enter into. Maybe you'll go to a book club and you'll read books that other people choose and you think, hmm, wouldn't have chosen this one myself. Or you'll watch movies you don't love, but in order to develop friendships and belong in a circle, we'll spend time. There are various things we'd like to get into. Jesus used to talk about the kingdom of God as something good to enter. And he spoke to people as if we're kind of start standing outside, actually, the kingdom of God, and we, we need to enter. And Jesus says a few things about how to do that today. Uh, Jesus never gives a really neat, straightforward explanation of what this kingdom of God is. He has a fair bit to say about it, though, and he says things like, it is coming, it is near. He even says, it is in your midst. He says it's like a seed sown in the world and growing up into a tree. He says it's like yeast being worked into dough and doing its thing. Uh, When Jesus comes and proclaims the kingdom, he heals the sick, he drives out evil, and these are tokens and signs of the kingdom and its power and its its, uh, attitude and its, its work to heal and to drive out evil. It has to do with eternal life, life in the age to come. It has to do with treasure in heaven. Now, the reality of such a kingdom, the kingdom of God, is doubted and denied. There's no uh, questioning that. We live in a very secular moment, a moment where this age, life, just life as we see it now, the kind of life of the living and dying human organism, is, is the focus of people's attention, the frame of people's reference, and the only reality that people acknowledge for many of us. But perhaps there is in you an inkling that there is another realm, that the kingdom of God is there, the God who stands over and beyond life as we see it now, and who also creates and sustains and draws near to us in the life we live now. Perhaps you would like to enter God's kingdom, step into his realm, if it were possible for you to do that. 
Let's take this passage in its two main parts, the Gospel reading from Luke. Firstly, Jesus says, effectively, to enter the kingdom of God, we must receive it like a little child. Uh, the action in verses 15 to 17 is pretty simple. Jesus overturns his disciples' ban on people bringing their babies to him. And he welcomes them. You might ask, why are people bringing these babies? Well, early childhood has, for most of human history, been a risky time. Many, many have died young. And parents in Jesus' day may have wished that the healing hands of Jesus would give their children, if you like, some preventative protection from the things that might bring their life to a premature end. Jesus doesn't comment on the parents' motives or the meaning of his placing of hands on the babies, but instead we have Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. He says, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. It says, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The ancient world did not attend to or idealise childhood. It was not some special stage of life. And so Jesus is unusual in setting children up as a kind of model or example for us grown-ups. And the question, though, therefore, for us is, in what way are children to be models for us in our desire to enter God's kingdom? Jesus doesn't mention any specific childlike quality, it seems. He doesn't talk about innocence or openness or wonder. But he does talk about receiving, receiving the kingdom in order to enter it. He doesn't talk about winning the kingdom or pursuing the kingdom. And one thing that children do is receive. They receive endlessly. They receive the attention of others, the care of others. They receive food and clothing and education. They receive without offering to pay. They receive without trying to earn what they are given. To anyone who thought that entering the kingdom might turn on winning your way by your great deeds into it, or meriting your place in the kingdom by disciplined virtue, by paying your way in somehow, in some manner, this talk of receiving like a little child might be surprising. It might be even offensive. Because there are religions out there that call you to work for your place among the blessed to take yourself in hand and to purify and redeem yourself, to become worthy of God in some way, by devotion, by good deeds, by developing deep wisdom, by self-mastery, etc., etc. And for some people, that's a kind of non-negotiable for them, of their relationship with God. I must, I must do it. I must redeem myself. But Jesus radically undermines that attitude here. He says you don't win your place in the kingdom like some kind of hero. You receive the kingdom like a little child. You receive the kingdom as if you are powerless indeed to do anything but to receive it like a little child. There's the gift of a loving parent. 
In other words, receiving the kingdom is not, not like the Pharisee and the tax collector. You may re- recall a couple of weeks ago, the Pharisee who, who prayed to God, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. You know, I, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Here's a man showing his credentials for the kingdom of God. But the tax collector was quite different. He stood at a distance, beat his breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. All I can do is receive your mercy. All I can do is receive the kingdom like a little child. There's the first episode. Let's move on to the second, though. To enter the kingdom, says Jesus, we must, effectively, he says this, entrust ourselves entirely to Jesus. This is verses 18 to 30. And what Jesus has to say in his encounter with a certain ruler Well, it might seem to contradict what Jesus has said regarding the babies. You know, Jesus doesn't say to this earnest inquirer, receive the kingdom like a little child. He seems to call this man to a heroic act of renunciation. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. What does this mean for him? What does it mean for us? And how does it fit with what Jesus has just said about receiving the kingdom like a little child? Let's follow this little encounter. Verse 18, a certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now that is, by the way, the dream question for any pastor, right? Someone concerned about eternal life and brave enough to ask about it? What a great day at church that is when someone asks you that question. It doesn't happen very often. Now, when Jesus asks this question, he doesn't gush, oh, great question, so glad you asked. He slows the guy down straight away. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. For Jesus, an unthinking assumption about human goodness does need to be questioned because goodness does not truly belong to that human nature which is tainted by sin. Jesus goes on, though, to give the answer that every Jew knew. He said, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. This was the deal that God made with Israel through the prophet Moses. Keep this covenant with its divine commandments and live. All these I've kept since I was a boy, says the ruler. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was very sad because he was very wealthy. Now, Jesus doesn't say to this man, You haven't really kept those commandments. But he does test what is behind the keeping of commandments. That is, the willingness to trust and obey the word of God to you. Whatever that word may be. Will you trust the God who speaks his word to you, whether in the form of promise or commandment? The man comes to Jesus as to a teacher, as to an extraordinary teacher, as a prophet quite possibly, as one who can settle the question of his eternal life, who can give him the program to guarantee success. But the program is unexpectedly demanding. 
zero your bank account. Empty your asset portfolio. Now, Jesus was not necessarily asking a man to live forever in poverty with nothing, but he was at least asking for a one-time reset of this man's financial affairs that parted him from all he had, whether he had earned it or inherited it or whatever. And at the heart of Jesus' demand on this man is for him to completely trust in Jesus. For wealth is a power. It gives the rich the capacity to act in the world, to make things happen or to stop them from happening. It gives the rich then security against evil and the means to make yourself feel good. It gives the rich dignity and standing and attractiveness and privilege. Having money then is like having the favour of a God. It's like having heaven open and its sun shine upon you and make you glow. And having the favour of a God is very hard to renounce. But there is one who is over that false God, mammon, money. And to enter his kingdom, you have to receive it like a little child. That is, the little child who has one toy in their hand and who is offered another unthinkingly is willing to drop that toy to take the better thing that is offered to them. Perhaps receiving the kingdom of God like a little child means not making the kind, of, the kind of calculations about the world and its elements, its powers like money, that we are kind of driven to make. But rather to believe that Jesus' demand, whatever it may be, is a blessing in disguise. And casting ourselves upon him and acting upon that belief in him and his word. Now, what about us? Is this command that was given to this man to sell all, is it for everyone who wants to follow Jesus? Jesus' words to the rich ruler shock those who hear him. Who then can be saved, they say, if that's what it requires? And Peter nervously seeks some clarification about where he and his fellow disciples stand. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Peter has left all he had. But perhaps he thinks, but I haven't sold it. Those fishing nets up in Galilee, they're still mine. Is that enough? Or do I have to sell up all my gear, all my boats, give to the poor? Is that, do I need to take another step? And Jesus doesn't say to him, yes, Peter, you too must sell all you have. And he doesn't turn to the crowds and say, and you too must sell all you have if you wish to inherit eternal life. Jesus reassures Peter, truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. I take it that from this we understand that there are different things that different people must leave behind in order to entrust themselves completely to Jesus. Peter had, for now at least, left home, left his relations, his livelihood. That was his call. That's the call Jesus gave to him. Just come, follow me. 
Slightly different to the call Jesus made to the ruler, go sell all you have, then come and follow me. But the common principle is, well, Peter received a word and had to entrust himself completely to Jesus who spoke that word to him. And we too must entrust ourselves entirely to Jesus and to the word that he speaks to us, the call that he puts upon us. This is what it is to enter the kingdom. Now, this will affect your finances. For the rich, it must mean that we give up on the glamour, the charm, the power of wealth. And for the rich, perhaps giving money away will help break that power. On the other hand, for the idle, it might affect your finances differently. You might move, be moved to get some money, actually. And this, if we turn briefly to our epistle reading, Paul says in verse 7 of 2 Thessalonians 3, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle with when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so we would not be a burden to any of you. It may be that becoming a Christian breaks a habit of idleness and motivates you actually to get some money that you didn't otherwise have. certainly discourages Christians from saying, I have given away all my money to the poor and now it is up to other people to support me because I've done this dramatic and noble thing. No. Entrusting yourself to Jesus might affect your relationships too. The disciples went on the road with Jesus. They left home and family, at least for a time, so as to follow Jesus. And this may be part of what God calls you and I to do to enter the kingdom, to part from a parent, a brother or sister, a child, in order to go or to let others go where God would have them serve, where God would have us serve them. Perhaps this looks like never forming certain relationships, never marrying, because the call of God to entrust yourselves to Christ takes that form in your life. Perhaps this looks like leaving your home culture, because in becoming a Christian, in following Jesus, we leave behind the religion of our family and our ancestors, and we cannot fit in in that world anymore. So we must leave home to follow Jesus. Whatever we are called in our individual circumstances to, to do, to sell, to leave, or never to have, there will be, however, says Jesus, compensations. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. There is a fellowship. There is a richness and a reward in following Jesus, in entering that kingdom. Not only in the age to come, But even now, it may take many forms, but Jesus promises us that to obey his word will be a blessing, even if it is kind of in disguise. To enter God's kingdom, receive it like a little child, 
and entrust yourself entirely to Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do pray that you would kindle in our hearts the desire to enter your kingdom, to know you, to be in the circle of your fellowship among those whom you know and love and bless and welcome and welcome into eternal life. And Lord, help us to receive that kingdom like a child, not to seek by our own virtue or mastery to win it or earn it. Help us to entrust ourselves entirely to Jesus and whatever he asks of us to be able by your spirit's power to do and to know blessing in the doing of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.